0: There are a lot of people who have hurts. And I thought to myself, and I said, if I would tell you that there is a a magic wand that you would wave and your emotional pain will become whole, you would want it, right? If I tell you about a formula that if you follow it, that your emotional hurts can be lessened and overcome, you would say, tell me about it, right? But is it that easy? (laughs) The answer is no. Because it requires something of us, something that so many of us, in fact, vast majority of us, are not willing to commit to. It's going to require that you acknowledge that you cannot do it by yourself, and the ego does not like that. It requires that you are to be willing to place others ahead of yourself, and that is not easy. It requires daily emptying of yourself, of yourself, and that is not easy. It requires the emulation of the one who did it perfectly, who did it wholesomely, who did it successfully. I'm talking about loving like Jesus. Loving like Jesus. I'm sure some of you are saying, Or can anybody really love like Jesus? Yes. But can it be done perfectly? No. Can it be done easily? The answer is also no. But I want you to listen very carefully to what I'm going to tell you. Because major part of the problem that we are facing, and I'm talking about us who are the disciples of Jesus. Major part of the problem is that we look at our world and we see that the world is filled with fuzzy notion of christian love and that is impacting us many a church many a denomination have erroneously concluded that to love like jesus is you to exercise no condemnation of sin that you make no distinction between right and wrong That you make no clear line of demarcation between justice and injustice. That you have no appreciation for the truth. But on the contrary, the highest expression of love, if you want to love like Jesus, the highest expression of love is obedience to Jesus. What did he say? He said, if you love me, do what? Obey me. So, what did Jesus mean when he looked at his disciples in John 13 and said, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another? I am sure some children would love to interpret this verse to mean that if my parents love me, they will let me do whatever I want to do when I want to do it. We all were kids. Those of us who have kids understand that this is the way they say, if you love me, you'll let me do this. That's their way of manipulating us, by the way. There are some spouses who would like to interpret this to mean that if my spouse loves me, lets me do whatever I want to do, regardless of what is going to cost the other spouse. Here's the confusion. If you love me, you do this. If you love me, you do that. And we see that all around us, everywhere we go. How many times have you heard children say this kind of thing? But that's a mark of immaturity. Those who are disciples of Jesus Christ ought to grow out of this, if you love me, you do this for me, to saying, I love you. What can I do for you? Where is the focus in all of this? All around us in our culture is me, The one who wants to be loved. The one who needs to be loved. Me, who wants you to express love toward me. But where is Jesus' focus? (laughs) It's you who should be doing the loving. That you should express love. Don't worry about whether you get it back or not. The truth is, when you do, you will. Someone will say, well, Michael, Michael, do you mean to say that I should do all the loving without expecting any love back? Of course not. It's like sowing and reaping. You sow love, you're going to reap love. There's no doubt about it. Even if you don't get immediate results. Now, I think this is a very important distinction. And that's exactly what is being blurred in our culture today. The whole concept of love in among our contemporaries <laughs> is turned into sentimentality. People use love as leverage to get others to do for them selfishly what they want. The whole focus on love in our generation is on the recipient's demands. The whole emphasis on love is lack of condemnation of sin and what is wrong. Today, anybody who has a conviction and expresses his or her convictions lovingly. They are called and labeled extremists by our society. And they tell us that that person ought to be ostracized, that person ought to be banished from society, that person ought to be shut up from society. And that is a twist and perversion of the concept of love that is pouring out of many a church, that is pouring out of many a denomination, that is pouring out of the media, that is pouring out of politicians. In reality, Jesus tells us that the mark of discipleship is to love like He loves. Not the way these people defining and redefining love, that we love like Jesus. Jesus never loved sin. Jesus never winked at sin. Jesus forgave sin. Jesus, though He was sinless, and yet He died for sinners. In fact, it is out of love that we condemn sin. It's out of love that we call sin, sin. Why? Because sin is harmful. Because sin hurts families. Because sin destroys people and communities. Because sin devastates and causes upheaval in homes and in society. And if we are genuinely going to love like Jesus, we must point to the harm of sin. Not the other way around. Not by that bill of goods they're trying to sell us. Let me give you an example of how twisted and perverted and how lowered this view of love has become in our society today. And believe me, there's so many churchgoers have bought into this lie that have bought into this perversion. The Episcopal Diocese of New Hampshire just elected a bishop who is a practicing homosexual. Here is a father of two. And he says that he left his wife and children when God called him. God called him. I don't know which God he's talking about. It sure is not the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's not the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know which God he's talking about. But he said God called him to acknowledge himself a gay man. He describes that decision as the biggest risk of his life. And then he goes on to say, he said, I have been rewarded by the love of a wonderful partner with whom now he lives for the past 13 years. Pray, tell me, whatever happened to the covenant that he made with his wife and he said that until death do us part. Perverted, twisted. And we, the disciples of Jesus Christ, been intimidated into silence because we are afraid to be called unloving. But love tells the truth. If you want to love like Jesus, tell the truth. Don't let them tell you what love is. You tell them what Jesus said. Make no mistake about it. This perversion is overflowing into the Christian community. And some Christians have bought into it. But when Jesus said to His disciples, By this all men shall know that you are My disciples, He was not talking about this modern-day perversion of love. He was not saying that you should demand to be loved by others, but rather he said that each of you should love the other. Each of you should give of yourself for the other, so that the world will know that you are my disciples. Have you ever thought about it? If you looked at this passage and and saw when Jesus said that, that really is the clincher for me. As I read John 13 again and again, He said that, He said those words to His disciples after He washed their feet, after He washed their feet. In the early part of 13, He began to wash their feet. Now, I'll tell you something. This was not day like our day where you wear socks and shoes and you're driving nice cars and even if you walk, you walk on paved roads. No, no, no. They walk barefooted and actually some wore sandals, dirty roads full of dust and mud. They were filthy feet. And you say, Lord, I can understand you washing Peter's feet. I can understand you washing John's feet. He's the disciple whom you love. But you wash Judas's feet? That's just too much. That's too much. Why? Lord Jesus, you already knew that Judas has sold you down the drain. He washed his feet. Peter's going to deny you. But he washed his feet. You knew that they are all going to... Flee and leave you and forsake you. He washed their feet. You know why? Verse 1 really is the answer. He said, because he loved them to the end. That's the love like Jesus. Your love to the end. Not when things are going well. Not only when things are happy. But in the times of crisis. In the times of tension. That's when your love is tested. I want you to hear me right. This type of love that Jesus is talking about, it's not human love. This is not human love. This is not selfish love. This is not possessive love. This is not this twisted and perverted love that is spewed out on us from every direction. This is a redemptive love. He's talking about this divine kind of love. And that is why I told you in the beginning this kind of love is neither natural nor easy. Only God can give you. This kind of love. Back during the Korean War, there was a Christian civilian who was arrested and was condemned to death. And when the communist officer in charge found out that this man runs an orphanage, he decided to spare his life. But instead, they made a decision to kill his 19-year-old son by firing squad in front of his father's eyes. And this Christian man was forced to watch his 19-year-old son's body collapse from the hail of bullets. And in the course of the war, that very same communist officer who ordered the shooting of the Christian man's 19-year-old son he was captured by the United Nations forces. And he was tried and he was condemned to death. But before the sentencing could take place, the Christian, whose son was shot in front of his eyes, made a plea for the life of the communist officer. And he explained to the forces, the allied forces, and he said, this young officer really didn't know what he was doing. And the Christian man Implored, He said, give him to me and I'll train him. And his request was granted. And the murderer was released to live in the house of the victim's father. And the Christian man fulfilled his pledge. As a result of this Christ-like love, as a result of this redemptive love, as a result of this divine love, as a result of this humanly impossible love, The communist officer now is a prominent pastor. Is loving like Christ easy? No. Nobody would tell you that. But only Christ can make you love like Christ. Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Do you claim to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Then you must ask yourself the question, do you love like Jesus? Well, is there a magic wand That would help heal your emotional wounds? Yes. Is there a formula that can make you whole? Yes. Love like Jesus. Ah, but the question is, how do you love like Christ? This is how. Every time somebody wrongs you, every time somebody sins against you, immediately forgive them. Immediately forgive them. Between you and God. You say, Michael, you don't understand. You just don't understand. This person doesn't deserve forgiveness. She hurt me deeply. He abused me all my life. You don't understand. She nearly destroyed me. Let me ask you this. Did Jesus forgive your sins? Does He continue to forgive your sins? Will He continue to forgive your sins in the future? Well, pray tell me, if He forgave you, and if you are happily receive forgiveness at His hand, why you are so anxious not to dispense forgiveness? Love like Jesus. If you are a disciple of Jesus, you love like Jesus. How many of you read my books? And, and, and I tell the stories very openly and very freely how I used to suffer from an incredible, incredible ferocious temper. Incredible short temper. I mean, I did not practice, do unto others what they do unto you. I didn't believe that. I believed in doing unto others twice as much as you think they're going to do unto you. And no matter what comes in my hand, flew out of my hand. And I remember the day when I came to the Lord and I cried with all my heart. I said, Lord, I cannot do it on my own. Every time I try, it gets worse. It's like dieting. That really was. You lose a few pounds, you put on more. And that's the same thing. You, I'm going to do this. I did the courses. I wrote things down. Here are the steps. And every time it got worse, not better. And on that day, the process of Christ likeness began in my life. Is it easy? When I'm not walking with the Lord in intimacy, moment by moment, day by day, it's not easy. But when I'm walking with the Lord in intimacy, moment by moment, day by day, it is easy. Because it is Him loving through us. Loving like Jesus does not mean you wink at sin or never rebuke sin. It doesn't mean that when somebody wrongs you, somebody sins against you, it does not mean you pretend that it didn't happen or it didn't hurt. That's a fallacy. It's sentimentality. It's not reality. But what does it mean to forgive and forget like Jesus? It means that whenever you are wronged by someone, you immediately, that very moment, look up to heaven and say, Lord Jesus, because of your power, because of your strength, because I'm your disciple, I forgive that person. And you take care of it, and it's done. That's what it means. You do it privately between you and the Lord. It means that when the person who had wronged you is repentant and he comes to you and asks for forgiveness because you have taken care of the matter between you and the Lord, you are ready to embrace him and offer forgiveness. Now, some people, when they're wronged, go and immediately tell the person that wronged them, that they forgive them. Don't do that. Don't do that. Unless the person himself or herself comes and asks for forgiveness, don't dispense it. But you take care of it between you and your heavenly daddy. There are some people, when somebody comes and asks for their forgiveness, they pretend that it didn't happen. Oh, that was nothing. (laughs) Of course it was. Don't say that. Calling sin, sin is not being judgmental or harsh. It is being honest and truthful. And when sin is brought into the surface and is confessed, forgiveness is a must. Some people say, well, I will forgive, but I will never forget. Do you know why people say that? Because they think that forgetting means that you're going to get a bout of amnesia and you're not going to remember it anymore. That's really what they think. No. But that's not what it means. It's not going to mean that it's erased from your memory bank. No. When the Bible said that God forgives and forgets. It doesn't mean that the God who knows everything about everybody since before the creation and after the creation till the end of times knows all the details of your life. All of a sudden, oops, I don't remember what he did. No. That doesn't mean that at all. But rather, it means forgetting means that he would not hold it against you. That's what it means. It means that it's not in his account ledger that is filed away, and every payday he pulls it out and says, look what you've done here, 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 here. No. Forgetting means you cancel the debt. Forgetting means that you don't hold it against them. Forgetting means permanently removing their offense from the debt column. If you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, then you need to learn to love like Christ. Often when someone wrongs me, I wait until they ask for forgiveness, as I already told you. That person, not somebody on their behalf, that person has to come and ask for forgiveness before I publicly express it. Why do I say that? I'm going to give you some biblical precedence here. But what have I done, meanwhile, in my own heart of hearts, in the privacy of my heart, between me and the Lord, in the secrets, in the very depth of my heart, what have I done? Have I, I've taken care of it with God that I have canceled that debt, it's washed. It's cleansed because it's going to affect my walk with the Lord. It's going to affect my life. It's going to affect my ministry. It's going to affect everything in the world. So I take care of it. Through the power of Jesus Christ, I take care of it, but not publicly. Why? I want you to hear me right. Number one, you must never offer forgiveness unless and until the person asks for it. If you walk to someone and say, well, I forgive you what you have done, <laughs> well, the person might not be aware that he's done anything. It's different in a parental responsibility when you try to bring your child under conviction and you confront them with the wrong. It's different if you're on spiritual authority and you're trying to bring somebody under conviction to see what they've done before even they ask for it. Listen to me. The reason why our Christianity is so mushy is because for so long we've preached, come to Jesus and just make Him to be your friend. Well, that's wonderful. But He cannot be your friend until you already have been convicted that you have sinned against the Holy God and against His commandments and against His rules and that you're heading for disaster without Jesus Christ's payment for you. See, that's the problem. We preach cheap repentance and, and, and we don't even ask for repentance. Until a person comes under conviction that he or she have sinned against a holy God, they can never be born again. Adding Jesus to the list of your friends ain't going to help you. It's wonderful, Jesus' is wonderful friend, let me tell you. I testify to that. But Jesus is a friend of sinners, those who confess, those who admit. And so the person has to confess personally, and then be forgiven. Conviction must precede repentance, and when public repentance takes place, then public forgiveness should be offered generously and freely. Second thing I want to tell you is this. You must take care of the inward forgiveness immediately and without delay. Don't sleep on it. It's going to multiply Because carrying a grudge hinders God's blessing on your life. It really will. It will. So deal with it inwardly. And then wait for God's timing to offer it outwardly and publicly. After the resurrection, Jesus did not rush to Peter and said, Now Peter, you denied me three times, but I forgive you. We don't have any record of that. Instead, he three times he said, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter comes under conviction. And then the Lord forgives him. When did Jesus forgive Peter? You know how I can show it to you from Scripture? After the third time Peter denied Jesus, the Bible said, and Jesus turned and looked at Peter. As I say, Peter, that's all right. I have forgiven you in my heart. When Jesus forgave the crowd who nailed Him to the cross, He did not in His agony look down and hear, You people, I forgive you. He could have done that, but He didn't. He prayed to the Father. He said, Father, forgive them. And very few people actually heard this. Because it was between Him and the Father. He took care of it right on the spot. Between Him and the Father. They don't know what they're doing. Had He said, I forgive you, they would have laughed. They would have jeered. Forgive us what? We've done a government a favor. We've done God a favor. We've done everybody a favor. What is He talking about? But He took care of it. And then, there is no doubt in my mind that on the day of Pentecost, when the Bible said there were 3,000 people came to Christ in in Jerusalem, some of them were those very ones who stood there. Under the cross. You talk to the Father about those who have hurt you. Then the Father will give you supernatural power to be able to forgive them. And to keep your heart clean between you and Him. Why should you take care of this very quickly? I don't want you to miss this. I'm almost finished. If you miss this, you're going to miss the whole point of this message. Don't miss it. The Bible said, if I incline a sin... Where? In my heart. Where nobody can see. Where nobody knows. But me and God. I'm inclining in my heart. If I hide a sin in my heart. If I hide a grudge in my heart. If I entertain a sin of my heart. If I host a sin in my heart. If I nurture and nourish a sin in my heart. If I nurse a sin in my heart. My prayers... I'm not going to go any further than the ceiling. God will not hear me, said the psalmist. Have you been praying for something for so long and you haven't had an answer? Something that in your heart you know that is consistent with the will of God. Will you listen to me, please? Maybe, just maybe, that you are entertaining a grudge in your heart. Maybe, just maybe, that you are nursing a sin in your heart. Maybe, just maybe, that you are nurturing bitterness, resentment in your heart. Maybe, just maybe, that you're not loving like Jesus. Now I want to tell you something. God wants to hear your prayers. God wants to answer your prayers. And the psalmist said, if I incline a sin in my heart. But this may be a premature message for some of you who are not a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I thought about this, and I thought of the times that I've been dragged in so many museums around the world. As you look at me, I'm not very cultured. And there I see in all these world museums, all the masterpieces, all the master's painters. And here there are men and women with their easels and brushes and their painting. What were they doing? They're emulating those paintings. And I thought if I do that, I hate to tell you what it looks like. I can draw, but even first grader can draw better than I can. There's no way on God's earth, short of a supernatural intervention or the return of the Lord or my heavenly body, that I'll be able to copy these people. Why? I don't have the aptitude. That's not my aptitude. And if you, another disciple of Jesus Christ, if you've never been born again or born of the Spirit of God, if you've never come and surrendered your life and acknowledged that you have sinned against heaven and only Jesus Christ can save you, you can try to emulate Jesus Christ all you want, you cannot do it, because that is the power that Jesus gives to His disciples. He wants you to have it. So if you've never, ever committed your life to Christ, don't begin by saying, I want to emulate Christ. You can't. You have to begin by being a disciple of Jesus Christ, and allow Him to come into your life, forgive your sins, cleanse you from all unrighteousness, assure you of eternal life, and then, put you on the road of enabling you, empowering you to do the impossible, to forgive. Just like Jesus, shall we pray. You've heard me say this many a time. This moment is really a sacred moment. This is the moment that Satan does not want you to tarry and, and wait a minute. Because this is the time when the Holy Spirit, the surgeon, is doing his work in you. And in me. This is the moment... But the Holy Spirit says to you, okay, you heard the truth, what are you going to do about it? Jesus has been waiting for you to come, confess your inability to save yourself, confess your inability to help yourself, and rely supremely on His supernatural power. Will you say to him, Lord Jesus, I confess my utter spiritual bankruptcy? I cannot do it. Every time I tried, I failed, and it gets worse. But now, Lord Jesus, I ask for your power supernaturally to emulate you to be your disciple. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.